Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 7. Hold a finger there and we're going to look at Acts 1 just for a moment as we look at a message called The Ultimate Witness. We're going to look at the story of Stephen before the Council of the Sanhedrin found in Acts chapter 7. So hold a finger there and we'll look at Acts 1-8 for just one second. And let's pray. Well, Father, we are grateful for the time of music ministry. It seems like it really helps to prepare our hearts to really sing praise songs to you and to focus our attention on heaven. Things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, The things of the earth do grow strangely dim as we focus our eyes on the right place. We're here this morning, Father, hungry to know you better. You tell us, Jesus, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. Thank you that you're here to meet our need. Thank you that as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God, for the living God. And thank you that you're alive. You know everybody's heart. You know what we need to hear. You know how we can be best ministered to. And so, Father, we just want to right now just lay every care, everything we brought into this place at your feet. We want to focus our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who is Jesus Christ. We want to run the race with endurance that's been marked out before us as we fix our eyes away from things that distract and to the one who will help us to finish strong. This morning we will look at a young man who finished strong. He didn't live a long life, but he lived a life that impacted generations and impacted a man named Saul. And you use Saul, who became Paul, to change the world. And Father, I just pray that we would be people who see ourselves that way as witnesses who want to impact people to change the world for Jesus Christ. So whatever's distracting us from that, Father, whatever's keeping us from that, help us to lay it down. And as we look at this ultimate witness, Stephen, whose name means crown or garland, may we run in such a way that we might win that prize like Stephen ran so well. We, again, just want to say we love you, and I just want to pray for each precious person that you would just bless them and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there is an outline in the book of Acts that I think is worth noting as we begin It's found in Acts 1.8, and it says, But you shall receive power. Jesus is speaking to the apostles before he ascends back into heaven. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The word witness is a Greek word called martus, and the word later became known as a martyr. And it might surprise you to know that many people who were living in the first century desired to be martyrs for Christ. They literally felt like the highest honor in their life was to die for Jesus Christ. Now, all of us would say that we certainly don't have a martyr's complex, but we do realize that martyrdom and uh, persecution against Christianity has been a, a, thing, a theme that's been going on for centuries. Consider the following facts and figures. Since the birth of the church, it's estimated that approximately 72 million Christians have been martyred for their faith. 
Of this 72 million, it is shocking to learn that 48 million Christian lives, almost 67%, have been snuffed out since the year 1900. From the middle of 2008 to the middle of 2009, about 176,000 Christians were martyred. The average, this averages roughly 482 deaths per day, or one Christian dying every three minutes. In other words, more believers have been killed since the year 1900 than throughout all of Christian history up to that point. If the current numbers hold, the horrific reality is that the 21st century will see more Christian martyrs than in any century preceding it, close quote. Now this is a reality that we don't talk about about much in church, and it's certainly not one that I would run to to preach on if I had something to select for you. But since we go verse by verse through the Bible, we're now confronted with a chapter that outlines the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr of the church's name is Stephen. We learn some things about Stephen, if you turn over to Acts chapter 6, that give us some things about his personality. He was certainly a man, a young man that lived without fear and lived in power. And that's an overarching theme I want to get across to you today, to live without fear. Uh, Jim Elliott, the young missionary who was killed trying to witness to some uh, remote Indian tribe, said, make sure when it comes time to die that all you have to do is die. What he meant by that is, Make sure you're living for the right things so that you don't have any regrets at that time when the Lord calls you home. Many people would see Jim Elliot's death as a tragedy, but Jim Elliot's death actually has uh, polarized many people, and even in the immediate surroundings after he died, many people got serious about the mission field in the wake of his death. Some things about Stephen. His name means garland or crowned. He was a man of good reputation, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. That's Acts 6.3. He was full of grace and power. That's Acts 6, verse 8. Strong in debate so that they could not cope with his wisdom and the Spirit with which he was speaking. That's Acts 6, verse 10. This was a man of power. And he was a man that was upsetting the apple cart. The religious leaders were getting tired of hearing about Jesus. They had threatened the apostles. First it was Peter and John and the formerly lame man. They brought him before the council and they said, stop speaking in this name. And then all 12 were brought before the council. We saw that after they were freed from uh, prison by an angelic jailbreak. You all remember that passage? And they said, stop speaking in his name. And they said, we're going to obey God rather than men. And now Stephen is out there speaking. He is refuting people in debate. He is a strong and powerful young man. And so now he has been dragged off to the council. Uh, There's people who have brought false charges against him. And he's been brought, literally dragged before the Supreme Court of the day. And they have now taken a formal setting. They met in a semicircle. There was 71 of them, including the high priest. They were the supreme court of the day, and they violently dragged him before this council. And he's now before the supreme court, and they are going to ask him this question. This is Acts 7, verse 1. The high priest said, Are these things so, or you could put it this way, how do you plead to these charges? This is a formal court hearing, and something interesting has happened to the face of Stephen. Because Acts 6.15, the last time we were together, Luke tells us that fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. 
Now he was shining much like Moses did when he came down from Sinai. And the accusation was, this man speaks against Moses and the holy place and the land. And nothing could be further from the truth. Stephen believed in all that stuff. And I think God, in a special way, I think God does have a sense of humor. Because I think he allowed Stephen's face to radiate, like Moses, to say to them, you know what? He believes in all of that. And as a matter of fact, I'm just going to kind of illuminate his face for you. And everybody in the council saw his face shining. That's my conclusion. Like the face of an angel. Now, if you saw that, if all of a sudden something changed in my face, as you were all sitting here, and ah, my face began to illumine, we have special light things that we can do. And would you go ahead? No, I'm just kidding. But... But that would get your attention. If you saw something supernatural and it linked you back to a Bible verse in the history of your own nation, wouldn't you be thinking, you know what, maybe God's trying to say something to us, right? And so here's Stephen. He's standing before the council and the high priest, probably Caiaphas, says to him, are these things so? And he's referring to false charges that they trumped up against Stephen. If you note it in verse um, 11, Acts 6, it says, then they secretly induce men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And uh, earlier they had uh, accused him of speaking against the temple and so forth. And so, of course, this is a serious charge now. Uh, you're speaking against Moses. You're speaking against God. It's actually verse 13. They put forward, forward false witnesses who said this man incessantly speaks against this holy place. That's the temple and the law. For we've heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Now these are serious charges. This man speaking blasphemy, he speaks against God, he speaks against Moses, he speaks against the temple, and he's saying that this Jesus is going to come and destroy our holy edifice. Right? And the high priest and the council all convened says, is that true? Are these things so? Put yourself there. How would you respond? And so Stephen says, verse 2, Acts 7, and he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. Now they are family, they're all Jews. Stephen is a Grecian Jew, but nonetheless he is Jewish. And the first appeal he makes is, hear me. He wants them to really hear. Now in, in Israel, there's a, a Hebrew word for hear that is shema. And sometimes you guys have heard of the shema prayer. The prayer is from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it talks about teaching your children and really applying the word of God to your life. And the Jews, religious Jews, would pray that twice a day. They would go over the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And they would, they would go over the verses about loving God with everything that you are twice a day. It is possible to mouth the words of a prayer and not mean them. It is possible to have a prayer that you pray all the time and really not make application of that prayer. And so Stephen says to them, using a familiar word in their uh, uh, thinking, hear me, brethren and fathers. Don't just listen, hear me. Jesus would often conclude messages by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And there were people, there was a mixed reaction in the crowd. Some people would hear Jesus. He said, if you hear my words and do what I say, then you've built your house upon the rock. If you hear my words and don't do what I say, then you've built your house upon the sand. The storm's coming. Is your house going to stand or fall 
According to Matthew 7, Jesus says that depends on what you do with what you hear. You can hear something, but it can go right through your ears. You ever been talking to somebody and you know they're, someone out, they're somewhere else, right? You're, you're talking, but all it is is like the Charlie Brown parents on the phone. That's it, right? Your, your, your gums are a-flapping, <laughs> but I ain't tracking, that kind of thing, right? Well, he wants them to hear him. And he says, first answering this, the f- most serious charge, he says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Now, they had accused him of speaking against God, and so he starts with the God of glory. The only other mention of the God of glory is in found, found in Psalm 29, verse 3. Listen to it. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory, it speaks of his weightiness, his manifest uh, presence and attributes, thunders. The Lord is over many waters. This is 9 through 11 in Psalm 23. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And I think Stephen is saying, I believe in the God of glory. These guys have trumped up charges against me that I'm speaking against God. Nothing could be further from the truth. I believe in the God of glory. And he quotes a passage that's only used once in the Old Testament, but it captures the essence of God. Moses said to God, I want to see your glory. And it may be that as Stephen is calling him the God of glory, his face is still shining. Gotta love it. And so he's talking about the God of glory. And he says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. They are always talking about Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. And when did God appear to Abraham? When he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Now it's interesting because in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, uh, it talks about that Abraham was called before this. And it may be that God first gave the call to Abraham at Ur of the Chaldees and repeated the call in Haran. And if uh, you're a person who's been walking with the Lord for quite a while, you do know that sometimes God has to repeat things twice for us to listen. Can you imagine getting a call like this? Abraham, here I am. Actually, he was Abram at the time. I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Leave your homeland, leave your relatives, and go. Now, if this was a modern call in your life, just go and I'll tell you later where you're going. Would you get in your car and just go? Now, all the guys in the audience said, amen. I do that all the time. All the wives said, no, 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 right? Now you guys got those gadgets and stuff, and so it helps. I I still have a dumb phone, so I don't have any of that help. But anyway... Sometimes I just drive around. <laughs> Yesterday, <laughs> I was with my children, and we went somewhere, and uh, finally, my middle boy up here, and he goes, Dad, you don't know where you're going, do you? And I said, no, I, I don't know where I'm going. But isn't it lovely, the surroundings that are around here? You never know what you might discover. It's an adventure to go out that way. Some people see it as an adventure, and other people say, no. And then they check the gas gauge and that kind of thing. But the God of glory appeared to to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. And Mesopotamia was a place of utter idolatry. In uh, Joshua 24, it says these words about the family of Abraham. Joshua said to all the people, Joshua 24 2, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. It may well be that when Abraham or Abram was in Ur of the Chaldees, he was an idolater. How many of us could say we were called out of idolatry into faith in the living God? Every hand should go up because you were all called out of idolatry. And even if you didn't believe anything, then you were your own God, which is kind of the ultimate form of idolatry, wouldn't you say? Dr. Martin, my hero, said more people that you can, than you can shake a stick at shave their God every morning. And not to leave the ladies out, curl her hair. You know what I'm saying? We're all called out of idolatry into the living God, and it appears that Abram's family minimally and probably him himself were idolaters. Now, they've dug up all kinds of stuff from the Ur of the Chaldees, clay uh, uh, writings and stuff, and they've discovered it was a very sophisticated place in Mesopotamia, sophisticated educationally, uh, sophisticated in terms of business and everything, and religion, and they have discovered that there was a three-level ziggurat On the top level, there was worship to the moon god. Apparently, Abram was involved in worship to a moon god or goddess. And he was called out of that and called to the living God. And many of us can relate to that right there. God may be saying to somebody this morning, I want you to get settled in a Christian church. You may not have come from that background, but I'm calling you out of what you used to know into a relationship with the living God. That was Abraham the father of the Jewish nation. He didn't start off knowing the true God. His family didn't start off knowing the true God. But Abraham left. He responded to the call and he followed God. And he said to him, verse 3, Acts 7, Depart from your own country, from your relatives, and come into the land that I will show you. So he was called to depart and to follow God and follow him by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Have you noticed that God has a way of just giving you just what you need at the right time? I think the promise that God gives us is that every stage of the pilgrimage that we pilgrim on this earth, he will guide you. But he will ask you to trust him. We would all like all the information laid out right now. We all, some of us as Americans, we love bullet point lists. I could just check that off, I check that off, I check that off. And I know what's ahead. That's not how it works with God. He gives you just enough information. They're coming up to the Jordan River and God says, okay, I'm going to part the river. Just one qualification. I want you to step in and then I'll part it. Oh, Lord, no, no. I like to just stick my little toe in the water. As we get older, we get wimpy that way, you know. I say, oh, it's not 85. I don't know if I want to swim, right? So the priest had to be thinking. They had the ark and everything. Wasn't I up here? (laughs) Isn't it your turn? Step into the Jordan and then I'll part it. The Jordan was at flood stage. That meant it was a step literally over your head. If he doesn't part it, you're going down with the ark. Now do you trust God? I don't know. I like just to kind of put my toe in, right? We're much more, it feels much better that way. But God says, no, step and I'll part it. That's faith. And so Abraham obeyed God and he left, but he did take a family member, uh, one in particular I'm thinking of is a man named Lot. And all of us have had our Lot in life. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Lot became kind of a pain for Abraham, 
right? Uh, first, the, their, their people started fighting and they had to separate. And then Abraham had to go save Lot. He was taken captive in Genesis, um, I think it's 14 or 15. And he had to go rescue him and get into a battle because of Lot. And then Lot eventually settled in a place called Sodom. And that ended very poorly. Ended poorly for Lot's wife. And then Lot left there and he went up on a mountain. He was in a cave with his daughters. And then his daughters convinced him, well, after he, they got him drunk, then his daughters were with him sexually. It was not a pretty thing. And yet, in Second Peter, we're told that Lot was a righteous man. And his righteous soul was vexed every day at the unprincipled behavior that he saw in the land of Sodom. And so the, there you have Lot. Lot was rescued by the Lord. And so out he goes, out goes Abraham, and he's to come into this land that God will show him. And so he begins this sojourn. He departed, verse 4, from the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And from there, after his father died, God removed him into this country in which you are now living. The response of faith is always readiness. Oswald Chambers said, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. The Lord, uh, thou art Lord God, Nehemiah 9.7, who chose Abram and brought him from the Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. God chose Abraham, but Abraham had to still respond in faith. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. God said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you all these descendants. And the one thing that we know about Sarai, uh, Abram's wife, is that she couldn't have children. Abraham was walking on a promise, folks. You're going to have all these descendants. And Abraham says, but, but I have no son. I, my wife can't even give birth to a child. And God waited until Abraham was... 100 and his wife was 90 before Isaac came along. And some of you are saying, God, hurry up with the promises already. Try waiting until you're 100 and 90 to have a child. Wow. Can you imagine that? Say, Lord, you're going to need some super vitamins to help us in this situation. Right? But God is a miracle working God and Abraham walked by faith and a faith that is not tested will never be perfected. I know we don't like to hear that, but it's true. God tests faith, and later God would even test Abraham on uh, Mount Moriah regarding his own child. And so God spoke to this effect. Remember, Stephen is now preaching this before the Supreme Court of his day, that his offspring would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. That's from Genesis 15, 13. God predicted and said to Abraham, that this massive amount of offspring would be enslaved in a foreign land. We know that that was realized in Egypt in the furnace of affliction. And whatever nation to which they shall be in bondage, God said, I myself will what? Will judge. Did God judge the nation of Egypt? Oh, yes, he did, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circum circumcision. He gave it to Abraham, eight and so Abraham became the father of Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day. That's what the Jews did. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. There's where you get the 12 tribes of Israel. 
I think one of Stephen's overarching points is before there was ever a holy place, before there was ever a holy people, there was Abram in a foreign land and God called him in a foreign land. And God can call you from anywhere. God called Abraham from Mesopotamia. You don't have to be in a church to be called. You don't have to be sitting in a church to pray. God can speak to his people anywhere. And they were so big on the temple and so big on the land. And I think Stephen's saying to them, you know what? You guys have forgotten your own history. You've forgotten how this nation even started. If you would like to listen to this message again, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you've been blessed by this ministry or if we can pray for you, let us know. You can get to know us better, find helpful resources, and give to this growing radio ministry at livingtruthcorona.org. When he's before the council, finally he's rushed before the council, the Sanhedrin. His face is... One of the most incredible verses in Scripture. His face, and it says, they all fixed their gaze on him, verse 15. All who were sitting in the council, so they all saw it. They saw his face like the face of an angel. And that is a particular verse that you go, wow. Mm -hmm. With all these attributes, with all, he's full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of wisdom. They can't cope with him, full of the Spirit. Then you see, man, this, this guy is shining for the Lord. Yeah. And I think that we should spend a few moments here, Oscar. Let's talk about, you know, I know that this particular verse, there's conjecture on what this means. What, is it, what does it mean that his face shone like the face of an angel uh, or looked like the face of an angel? Um, what's your take? What do you think this might mean? Well, biblically speaking, we can remember back in Genesis how the Lord appeared with two men. And it said that they had this human appearance. But fast forward on, especially to the Mount of Transfiguration, how Moses and Elijah, they appeared in the Mount of Transfiguration and they were glowing. And even the two men who appeared in the beginning of Acts, that they had this appearance about them. But if we consider, like you and I had already discussed, is what is an angel? An angel is a servant of the Lord. That's number one. They're also a messenger, number two. Number three, they are before God. So we can speculate that perhaps he's shown as an angel. Yeah. I mean, Gabriel uh, says to Zacharias, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Remember um, the angel account, I think it may be in Luke, where the appearance of the angel was like lightning. <laughs> can can yeah, you imagine that? That's amazing. That's why the guards shook for fear as though they were dead men. You know, um, so we're talking about, I think it's safe to say that, you know, for us, you know, we're speculating a bit, but for us to say he was reflecting in some way the glory of God, like Moses did up on Sinai, when his face shone. Uh, something was going on, something, if you want to put it this way, supernatural mm -hmm. was happening. Do you think that, you know, and looking at the main point that Luke may be trying to make, is that the council was sensing something supernatural in this man? And if so, why would they then reject his message? The amazing thing is, like you said, they're listening and they're seeing all these things. But back in verse 11, they had things backwards. This man speaks blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And, you know, here they, I, I don't know, this is that they're putting their priorities in, in backwards order here. But if he is transformed or his appearance looks like an angel, 
why would they continue on with their hardened hearts?